All right, back with more here. 1700 KBGG. Trent and Wolfgang with you. Taking up until 6 o'clock tonight. So, uh, Wolfie. Yes. Do you like it when I call you Wolfie? You know what? You can call me anything you want. Because I'll Wolfie's be honest. Fine. Wolfie's fine. I don't like the name Wolfgang. <laughs> That's all right. You can call Seriously, just don't cuss or I'll hit the delay for you. <laughs> hey, I need some help. I need some help over <laughs> you there. You son of a... <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. So, uh, Wolfie. Back to that. Yes. Nate Stanley. Yes. 26 touchdowns, six interceptions, 55% completion percentage. What kind of year does he have as a junior? Because breaking it down to the simplest terms, you know, there's an old adage that my uh, partner over the lunch hour, Ken Miller, has always said, got a quarterback, you got a chance. I always got a quarterback. How big of a year, though, can he put together? What's so real? He takes that step. Because I think he can have an even better year, and you look at touchdown-interception ratio, and it's worse. You see what I'm saying? I do, yeah. I buy that. I completely buy it. I can see how, yeah, was was it 26 to... 26-6. 26-6, yeah. I mean, I can see how those numbers would not be as, as good as they were last year, and he can take a step forward. Um, interesting thing, just talking with people around here that are Hawkeye fans... Um, or even Cyclone fans that know the Hawkeyes and watch Stanley. And I think it's fair to say we all like him. We all like the season he had last year. I don't know how we could basically expect much more out of a second-year sophomore last year. Um, But I don't believe, talking with Hawkeye fans, that we totally know what we have or we are even appreciating it. We And I'll, I'll just speak for myself here. I saw that thing come out with Todd McShay where they had him, I think, number 23 yeah. in next year's NFL draft, mm-hmm. the way-too-early NFL draft. And they he thinks that Todd McShay thinks that they're going to draft Nathan Stanley with the number 23 overall pick when he's a third-year junior. Now, I'm looking at that rolling my eyes, Trent, and <laughs> I think Nathan Stanley is good. I think he's a good quarterback. I see the potential. But I'm looking at him trying to figure out what is he seeing that I'm missing. And we talk about this a lot because I basically just to come to this conclusion recently with last year's basketball program. When I want to hear Hawkeye opinions or people that I respect, I want to I want them to know the two deeps. I want them to know you know what their strengths and weaknesses are. I'll listen to Trent Con or John Miller. I'll listen to you know Morehouse or. But I I feel like some of us we might just be too close to the program. We can't see the forest through the trees, or we're just too close. Mm-hmm. And what do you make of the fact that you have a Todd McShay? that is saying this guy could be the 23rd pick next year as a true junior. Or you hear Colin Cowherd, who actually said something positive about the Iowa program and said, this guy's one of the best quarterbacks in the you know in the yeah. college football or something like that. And there's another uh, analytics website that believes, and I want to talk about that maybe uh, next week, if I can find the website. It's totally disappeared. I can't find the thing. It's not a popular website, but it's an analytics website that is mostly free. And they had... Nathan Stanley coming back this year as the fourth best analytical quarterback in college football. Hmm. Only guys ahead of him were the Missouri quarterback, West Virginia quarterback, and uh, Penn State quarterback. He's number four. He's ahead of the Alabama's Alabama quarterbacks. Tua. Yeah, he's ahead Tua. of both of them. Who are the other Tung great quarterbacks that that should be ahead of him? the? Um, Who's another big time? Big time. Uh, well, uh, Ryan Finley, NC State has been talking Browning about, it, Washington. Yep, NFL circles. Okay, Finley maybe even ahead of uh, of where Stanley is. Oh, who else would you? I mean, there's so many quarterbacks that you can name for different. Drew Lockdown at Missouri. That's another. He's guy. number one, and he's number in the analytics okay. thing that I saw. He was number one by a lot over 
over uh, who did I say was number two? I've already forgotten. Cheers. Anyway, um, <laughs> no, oh, too, the West too. Virginia quarterback. Oh, okay. And he, he was number one oh, by really? a lot. I've yeah. never even. Sorry, I don't watch a lot of Missouri football, but he was number one by a lot. Um, so I don't know. What do you make of the fact that maybe and I'm I'm putting words in your mouth? I have no idea what you think of Nathan Stanley. Do you buy that he's going to be the number twenty three pick next year? Do you buy that he's the fourth best returning quarterback in the nation? It wouldn't shock me, and and here's the reason for it. See, I remember bringing this up a year ago uh, to Mark Morehouse, in fact. And I asked him, and, and Mark, come on, Trent, let, let's not go there. And it was, it was, I think, right after the Iowa State game. But you look at how he's built, the arm strength that he has. He's got a little bit of move, maneuvering to his game. And, and then it just it goes another step forward. You got that highlight play with the defender from Ohio State draped on your ankle, and you just... Arm strength it to the back of the yes, end zone to Hawkinson in there. for a touchdown. I, I've seen it. And Ricky Stanzi, I never saw NFL quarterback, a guy that can hang around like he did. Yeah, yeah five, six that. years, right? That ain't a bad gig if you can get it. Stanley has the requisite stature build that they look for and so much, so much room to improve. You know, I, at times a year ago, we got very caught up on Boy, he just he's he's so bad at that deep ball. Well, he's in comparison to anybody else in college or pro football, take a look at their numbers when they throw the football 30 plus yards down the field. It's not as good as you think. Did he overthrow a couple of open guys? Yes, early. He did. There's no doubt. But he's not alone in that category. It became a narrative that I think was overstated too much a year ago. Completion percentage needs to get better. Does he have the footwork to do that? We're going to see this year. If he takes the leap, though, it's not a huge leap to believe. Maybe not the 23rd, but a first, second round draft pick, you know, early in the second round, something like that. Now, had I brought this up before Todd McShay, would you not have beat me over the head what a homer I am? No, no, because I've been saying it since last bought. You would have bought that. In the 2019 draft, Nathan Stanley is going to go 23. I would have rolled my eyes at any Hawkeye fan that would have said that on the air. I had no idea that the experts were looking at him as that good. I think it's... Just too much of a leap of faith. Joel Klatt, who uh, works for Fox, I think is the best college analyst going right now. Yeah, he's good. He also came out, also a guy that knows the position well. He played quarterback, unlike Todd McShay. And he, I thought McShay did. Oh, did he? Yeah. Oh, did he? Oh, I don't okay. know that for a fact. I'm pretty sure, though. Well, Klatt played at a higher level. Okay, yeah. Because gotcha, I actually remember gotcha. watching Joel Klatt, so maybe that's a reason for it. <laughs> I don't remember watching Todd McShay play quarterback. But that aside, and he had a list of seven guys he's hearing in NFL circles the most. One of those seven, in fact, the second guy he had listed, I don't know if it was in order, was Nathan Stanley. And this was before or after McShay? This was just a couple days ago. Oh, so it was after Clint. McShay. Yeah. Okay. I retweeted it. So, okay. you know, if you, you followed me a little closer on Twitter, I just you know got on Twitter things. again about a week ago, so yeah, I'll follow you closer. On? You never retweet. <laughs> you come on the show, I put your name in there. You don't even retweet it, letting people know you come around the radio. What's happening with Done. You? Done. I'm telling you. I'm a part of this team now. Did you at least we can do, do it, it today since you're in here for a lot longer? I will. I will do it right now. Oh, I will man. tweet it and you just keep talking, Trent. Right, but I, I, I just that's think that I, I just think that most Hawkeye fans, that caught them off guard. Even the positive Hawkeye fans yeah. that I talk to, I talk to guys that know their bleep. I don't talk to Hawkeye fans that have no idea what's going on or don't know who the starting wide receivers are. I talk to guys that are into it, that know their stuff. And that, you know, we're sitting there talking about that, and I'm going out tonight and I'm gonna talk with them. I'm like, do you buy this? Is this just a leap of faith expecting this and that? And I know he has an unbelievable arm. Mm-hmm. I get that. And you know I don't fall in love with that stuff. 
Congratulations on your arm. Good job out of you. I don't care. You don't have to throw it through a brick window or a brick wall. That's You don't need to do that. You just need to get it there. Ryan Leaf could throw it through a wall. Peyton Manning couldn't. Yes. Who would you rather have? Exactly. I, it's just so overblown. Can you read a defense? Can you put it through windows? Can you avoid the rush? Can you keep your eyes downfield when, when players are all over you? Which I don't understand how you do that. Oh, you got 300 pounders coming at me at, as fast as they can. And you're just, oh, just what's wrong with him? Keep your eyes downfield. What? No. He's got a 300-pound man that benches a semi-truck coming at him, and you expect him to keep his eyes downfield. I couldn't do it. I, I couldn't do it if supermodels were coming around the side. But at some point, I guess you look at it, and the quarterback position is so important. If these websites and these analytics sites, and I'll bring it up to you because I want you to check this analytical website out. Okay. Um, if they're right, and this guy literally is the fourth best returning quarterback um, this season, and he does something, and he actually plays like that. Because if you look under what Kirk Ferentz has done, every time he has those top ten seasons, Trent, what do you see? A Drew Tate, awesome, nice career, and you know, in the CFL, Big Ten championship, top ten finish. Uh, we're talking Stanzi, okay, makes an NFL team for five six years, top ten finish. You look at CJB. What is he? He's an NFL quarterback. Started a number of games last year. Now he's a backup to uh, Jimmy G in San Francisco. What did he do? Undefeated regular season, top 10 finish. Here's our fourth one. Is he going to be around this year and next year? <laughs> I will say this. Here's my hot take, Trent. I got it. Either All this right. year or next year. We're rolling We're tape. finishing in the top 10. This year or next year, because that would keep the streak going of really good quarterbacks finishing in the top 10. Who, you? You and Milwaukee? Oh, the Iowa Hawkeyes. Got to be working on that, Wolfgang. I thought we weren't journalists. We're not journalists. We also can't be fanboys. So you want me to... I say we when we're talking about Iowa State. You never notice that. I notice it. I do it with you and I. What do you... I mean, come on. I'm not going to say we when we're talking about Nebraska, but the in-state people. Sorry, I stick my chest out. I get puffy when I hear the egomaniacs and the uh, talk about how we're flyover country. Yes, I say we. As Iowans, sorry. Twist him up and away he goes. That's Wolfgang sitting in with me here today. We got to take a break. We're coming back with more on the other side. It's Jimmy B and TC. Back with you with another edition of the Hawkeye Swarm on 1700 KBGG. Trent Condon, Dr. Stephen Fuller talking Hawkeye athletics with you. Getting through the summertime, Doc, and getting ready for football right around the corner. Game one against Northern Illinois. But uh, today we're going to be talking basketball. We're taking a look back at... Uh, well, at least of my lifetime, the greatest Iowa basketball team, 86-87. Today, I'm going to take another look at one near and dear to my heart, and I think a lot of Hawkeye fans, the last season that they made a Sweet 16, made it to the second weekend. Dr. Tom's final team, 1998-99. Yeah, and, you know, what Bob Bowlesby did to Dr. Tom, making him a lame duck uh, coach, that, what a, what a bad thing, and uh, not a good service to uh, Dr. Tom. And and uh, I, I think that team kind of had a chip on their shoulder because of that. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, we started off 2-0, and but uh, then we kind of took a, a chip off our shoulder and, and uh, let one get away against Creighton. And uh, so we ended up starting 2-1. and Yeah, it was, uh, you know, going into it, I, I want to go back before we kind of dig into that season. It was that lame duck year that you mentioned. It's something that is completely unheard of today, just letting a guy sit there. And it was also a terrible decision in my mind for Mary Sue Coleman, the school president, and Bob Bowlesby, the athletic director, is because Iowa, the state of Iowa that year, 
had a couple of great players that ended up playing down at Kansas that were going into their senior season in Nick Collison and Kirk Heinrich. Now, I don't think Heinrich ever would have been a Hawkeye, but Nick Collison very well could have. Very well could have. I Grew mean, up a Hawkeye fan. Yep. Iowa Falls, a big Hawkeye community. If they would have pulled the Band-Aid off and instead of doing a nice thing for Dr. Tom and letting him coach his last season, it hurt Iowa basketball and it put them in a hole and whoever it was, and it turned out to be Steve Alford, it put that person in a difficult position. You don't have a year of recruiting already. You have this kid in your state, a five-star kid, that you have no chance because he's going to sign his letter of intent in November. It really hurt Iowa basketball, and if they would have brought in, and it probably wouldn't have been Steve Alford, it probably would have been somebody else, but whoever it might have been and fired Dr. Tom the year previous, it's kind of a great what-if for Iowa hoops and some of the momentum that they could have had. Oh, most definitely. I mean, the classic was uh, and it's when uh, my family still had season tickets to uh, the Drake Bulldogs, and mm-hmm. and. Uh, and it happened to be the fourth game of the year and first uh, of December and and I was on my way to the Nap Center listening to uh, the uh, Iowa pregame show on WHO radio and and um, Doff goes well how's recruiting going uh, Doctor Tom and and <laughs> and Doctor Tom says don't have to do it yeah. And there was this long, awkward pause uh-huh. because it just totally caught, you know, Gary off off balance, and mm-hmm. and uh, you know, because usually that early in the season you're you're looking at uh, seniors and things like that, right. and and so basically uh, they had to wad that uh, sheet of paper up uh, real early in the season, and uh, but. Uh, it made the season a whole lot easier. All Dr. Tom had to do was concentrate on the guys he had in the stable and right. uh, go with that. He didn't have to worry about the next year. <laughs> yes, he, he was in good shape. And, and a team that turned out to be very good, though you mentioned that game over in Omaha, did not play very well in that loss to uh, to Creighton, well, a home game, excuse me, uh, against the Blue Jays. They come back, and then they get hot, and, and real hot. Now, they didn't play a ton of teams of consequence outside of one game. Doc, this was my freshman year at Iowa in the dorms, living in Mayflower. And there's this kid on my floor that's a Kansas fan, a Kansas basketball fan. So watching the game in my dorm, first half, he's kind of running his mouth, comes over at halftime, he's got something to say. Guy was a huge nerd on top of it, just annoyed the crap out of me. Oh, yeah, I kind of take it. And then the second half happens. And Kent McCausland hitting threes from all over the place. And the Hawkeyes go down to Lawrence and, and beat this Kansas Jayhawk team. And it Maybe this team is something special. It was. I mean, they uh, they rattled off uh, and started the season thirteen and one, mm-hmm. and uh, you know they went to the likes of Kansas and and they played Indiana and they played Ohio State, and uh, you know those are tough places to you know play at. And how many times do you go into Kansas? And get one out of there, especially early in the season. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of unheard of. But you know, we we started the season thirteen and one, four and zero in the Big Ten. But then we kind of hit a little bump in the road. Yeah, didn't didn't play excellent after that. Had a had a rough stretch. You, you mentioned the victory against Kansas. I want to say Kansas had a winning streak. It was something like eighty four game wins in a row against non conference teams in. Lawrence, 
and uh, Iowa was the one that upended a great performance for McCoslin. Yeah, you mentioned the rough stretch, though. After a nice start to the Big Ten, Iowa's sitting at 3-0, and and thinking, boy, you know, Iowa hasn't won a regular season crown in 20 years. Maybe this can be the game. What do they do? Well, typical Iowa fashion. They lose three straight to Minnesota, Michigan State, and uh, Wisconsin at home. And, and that loss at home to Wisconsin, I remember how frustrating that was. Wisconsin was just starting to to get better. Started with Michael Finley and Richard Griffin and and those teams that finally made the tournament after they hadn't been to the NCAA tournament in decades. And they got back. This was, though, all right, it wasn't a blip. It wasn't just a couple of guys. They got Michael Finley to come in. This is this is turning into a program. Iowa played terribly in that one. And yeah, maybe the decision to let Dr. Tom go was a good one. That that conversation then started kind of back the other way. Well, you know, that the fan base was wondering that, you know, dropping 20 you know, losing by 20 mm-hmm. in Hawkeye Carver, that's, it really hasn't been, we, we don't really lose too many games by 20 points in uh, Carver-Hawkeye Arena. No. And uh, so it kind of rattled the fan base, and, and uh, you're right. But, uh, you know, Dr. Tom, all he did was win. It wasn't a real flashy win, and I think that's, you know, they wanted some flash in the pan, and, uh, you know, Dr. Tom... <laughs> Like to do, you know, heavy on defense. He loved to play defense, and he loved to play, you know, up and down the court uh, defense. And if you got over the top of it too quickly, uh, you, you know, you had some easy shots. And uh, that's what I I think they really wanted to see the breakout of uh, the players and and things like that uh, because. You know, low-scoring games just didn't thrill the fans and and uh, must not have been filling the uh, donation basket either. Yeah, <laughs> that's another one. You get frustrating. And you, he made nine NCAA tournaments in 13 years. But early on, those were teams that well, were recruited by George Raveling. And there, there was a lull back and forth. And they didn't see eye to eye. You know, that this team that we're talking about here, the 98-99 team, Joey Range was brought in. Joey Range was a guy that a lot of programs stayed away from. A lot of people didn't think he should be a guy that should be in their basketball program. He had some rough edges to him, and obviously he did not last for four years. Very talented player. I know that was a point of contention that was talked about. Non-conference scheduling was something that was talked about a lot. There were a few things there that Dr. Tom, been doing it for a long time. This is how I do things. Bob Bowlesby want to see a little bit of a change. And, well, an AD and a coach don't see eye to eye. We know what happens. Usually one of them's heading for the door. It's usually not the AD. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, you got to have a lot of power in order to do that. No doubt. It's funny, Doc. I I was looking here at uh, the Daily Iowan and uh, got the PDF here of the, the newspaper from the day after they beat Kansas down there in Lawrence. But that wasn't the top story on the sports page. How crazy is that? You beat 10th-ranked Kansas in Lawrence. The top story from Jonathan Hayes, former Hawkeye tight end, who became a staff member with Bob Stoops in Oklahoma. Hayes, Stoops wanted Iowa job above all else. Yeah, <laughs> look at that. Even bigger, as big as that win was, Iowa football still was on top of it that day. Well, and that's, you know, as that's one of the reasons Steve Alford uh you know, mm-hmm. went south and because he felt that University of Iowa was a football school. But, 
there's many years that uh, the University of Iowa wasn't a football school, and and uh, Lute Olson uh, was uh, was king, right? And uh, so I, I get it, you know, and because Stoops was an alum and he wanted to come home, but uh, you know, when you go through the uh, interview process, you pretty much have to finish it. Mm-hmm. You just can't come in and say you're the man, right? And uh, who knows what would have happened if uh, if Bobby Stoops was the last person to be interviewed? Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, maybe he would have been at the University of Iowa, but that's okay. Time we got is everything. We, that's right. We got Kirk, and we were doing just fine. Well, uh, let's fast forward here as we're taking a look back at the ninety eight ninety nine basketball season. I was last making it to the second weekend, so they drop a game right away in the Big Ten tournament. They lose to Wisconsin something that also was a bit of an issue for Dr. Tom teams. They did not play well in the Big Ten tournament. And then they get to the NCAA tournament still as a number five seed. And I was a little surprised. I figured they were going to be maybe in that six, seven seed range, eight range. You know, they've been there a lot in the past. They get a number five seed, open up against UAB, get the job done. And then uh, a great victory in Nichols Arena in Denver as they beat four-seeded Arkansas. And I still remember the play vividly, the behind-the-back pass from basically half-court from Dean Oliver leading to uh, one that basically put it away. Unbelievable play, and Iowa gets it done, upsets four-seeded Arkansas, and they're going to the Sweet 16. And there we were. you know, it, Going back to the UAB game, I mean, uh, what a game. I mean, I, I can't remember the head coach at that time. He, he ran off... Uh, quite a string with UAB and you know uh and that's a good program and being the fifth seed usually the f- the 12 can and has mm-hmm. jumped up oh, yeah. historically and beat the fifth seed so it, it you know it, it would have been easy for the Iowa Hawkeyes to take an early exit mm-hmm. but then you know rattle off a 77-64 victory against UAB and then come back uh 2 days later against uh Arkansas, who's you know the fourth seed, and beat them eighty-two to seventy-two. You know, we're we're happy. We're you know, I was in dental school, and and uh, I, I, you're thinking about okay, are we going to make the trip down to Phoenix, Arizona, yes. and and things like that? And of course, you call home, and Dad <laughs> says if anybody's going to Arizona, it won't be you. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 the results was uh, okay. So uh, I watched it on the uh, TV at uh, in Iowa City. Iowa in that game, McCoslin had another great performance. Five three pointers in the second half. A big game out of Dean Oliver, as mentioned. The the great pass that he uh, threw ahead to put it together. Uh, Arkansas got it back within one with two and a half minutes left. J.R. Koch tipped in a missed shot for the Hawkeyes and shut them down the rest of the way as the Hawkeyes making a return trip to the Sweet 16 where it is top-seeded UConn. UConn goes on to win the national championship. That, though, well, first of all, after the game and seeing Dr. Tom tears in his eyes after they're making the Sweet 16, just, just how awesome that victory was and getting to play in the second weekend. Exactly. I mean, what a way to go out at the University of Iowa. I mean, you know, and you you feel bad for the seniors, Jess Settles and, and that crew. Uh, and 
and, and even Kent McCausland. I mean, you know, you, you feel bad for them, and they don't know who their new coach is going to be. And uh, But they end quasi on a height note because they, they were in the Sweet 16. Mm-hmm. And played well against UConn. This is an incredibly talented UConn team. Back and forth. And the thing that I, I remember very vividly, UConn at that time didn't have a ton of toughness to them. They, they were looked at more of a finesse type of team. Iowa, their game plan, if we're going to upset this UConn team, we're going to have to be physical. And UConn, to their credit, they were physical right back. They, they knew that that mantra was out there, and they went back and they played very physically with the Hawks too. Well, you know, when you got Jacob Jakes out there, mm-hmm. uh, he likes to bang with the best of you. That'll <laughs> push you a little bit, yes. Yeah, you know, and 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 Gr Jr. Coke Koch. I mean, he he could bang with you too. Yep. I mean, uh, so yeah. I mean, and Duez Henderson. I mean, yep. uh, coming out of Detroit, Michigan, you can't tell me he's a softy coming out of Detroit. <laughs> uh, but. Uh, Big Ten play, it's physical, and a lot of teams don't hadn't really played that. You know, yeah, they like those outside shot, soft shots and things like that. And you, you know, one thing about it, Iowa likes to bang up and down the court, and uh, but this wasn't to be, and and uh, we got beat. Got beat by, frankly, a, a better team. They they were. They were the the superior team in there. There there was no doubt about it. And as mentioned, UConn goes on to win the national championship. UConn had Richard Hamilton, Clyde Elamine, Kevin Freeman, Ricky Moore. This was a ridiculously good team. But it still makes you wonder because if they would have if they would have found a way, do you know remember who they would have played in the Elite Eight that year? I can't remember. I mean, I I, I looked at it then and thought. We could have gotten to the final four and possibly where yeah. UConn went because that was the big mountain we had to climb. And the bracket opened up, and it was well, the team that's talked about Cinderella all the time now, their first Cinderella run, Gonzaga. Oh, they would have played Gonzaga for the right to go to the final four. Now, I don't think this Iowa team could have beat Duke as UConn did in the national championship game, but uh, what ifs of Hawkeye sports. We have a lot of what ifs yes, in Hawkeye sports. Yes, we, do. <laughs> we, we have played that game a lot throughout the uh, the last couple of months, Doc Fuller. It, it has been a lot of fun, but a great team. And and uh, what a finish for Dr. Tom Davis. Just a great person on top of it. He was able to go on here to Drake and, and help build that program to respectability. And, of course, Keno taking over in that incredible run of a decade ago. Still uh, Dr. Tom, one of my all-time favorites. And great to see a lot of times you'd expect a season like that, the lame duck year, as you talked about, kind of go out with a whimper. But to put together a season like that, uh, a great one in Hawkeye Hoops. Yeah, Dr. Tom, what a class act. I mean, and he's still in Iowa City, and he, you know, he, what can you say about the gentleman? I mean, uh, he uh, loves the game of basketball, and uh, he did the right thing and finished the finished his job. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, and he really didn't complain about it. And uh, uh, I don't know too many coaches that uh, wouldn't have gone looking uh, when he didn't get an extension. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wouldn't have blamed him, but uh, he stuck it out. And like you said, he came to Drake and, and uh, helped build that program uh, and uh, handed the ball off to uh, Kino, who uh, basically had all the keys 
you know, and everything set up for him just like Dr. Tom did when right after uh, George Raveling left. And and uh, uh, you know what a what a spark that uh, Drake University had, but uh, the flame went out quick. Dean Oliver, J.R. Koch, Jess Settles, Kent McCausland, Joey Raines, Jake Jakes, Guy Rucker on that squad, Ryan Lurishman. You mentioned Duez Henderson, his freshman year, also him and Rod Thompson. Sam Oakey, the season of eligibility after he transferred from Wisconsin. Quite a group, and uh, the last Sweet 16 for the Hawks. When are they getting back to a Sweet 16, Doc? This year. This year. (laughs) No pressure there, Fran. All right. With that, we're out of time. We're coming back next week with more on the Hawkeye Swarm here on 1700. Be good, Doc. All right. You have a good week. Real sports talk for real sports fans. Swing it a man. Slam dunk. Touchdown. Sports. It's Jimmy B and TC. Oh, yeah. The word you're looking for is wow. Here's Jim and Trent. We're going to finish out our number one strong here as we got Matt Norlander from CBSSports.com joining us here. Big day in college basketball. A different way to evaluate college basketball teams. The RPI is dead. Hello, Net. Matt Norlander, CBSSports.com. What's happening? Hey, man. Great to be talking with you, Trent, but this is really weird to hear your voice in the middle of August. And uh, <laughs> it's like the, like the chat. But, yeah, I mean, for, for your audience that's listening, I understand that when you get, like, a random college basketball headline about the tournament in August, it might seem like something that's like, oh, okay, whatever. But, you know, as we get into it here, I want to just alert listeners to the fact that this will be the very biggest primary talking point by the time we get to March of next season because it will be a whole new evaluation tool that will be in place, and it's going to be the tool going forward. So it's best to, to get a hold of this now. So by the, by the time we get to February and people start talking about, oh, yeah, that's right, they're not using RPI anymore. This is what they're going to be using. Well, let's get into the nuts and bolts here. I read through it. I kind of gave uh, my thoughts on it overall. Want to get yours? You're obviously much deeper in the game. You, a lot smarter than me. You understand analytics a lot better than I do too. So, help us out with this thing. What What are we looking at? What is measured? What is the difference between RPI and net? All right, big picture. I'll try and make it as simple as possible here. So, the RPI was used the past 37 years by the NCAA as an official indicator as an official data point for how it ranked every team in college basketball, how it determined strength of schedule. And when these teams got picked for the tournament in seating and selection, they were, their resumes were on what was called team sheets, and all of the data on the team sheets in an official capacity was all RPI. But RPI was a very simplistic and archaic formula, which it was your strength of schedule, your opponent's strength of schedule, and your opponent's opponent's strength of schedule. And those three simple things broadly, very broadly, uh, gave you a decent overview of, of the strength of college basketball, but um, it, was, it was not nearly as advanced, uh, nor as reliable, nor as accurate as a lot of the metrics we've come to be familiar with over the past decade and a half. And so this new one that the NCAA is going to use is called the NET, N-E-T, uh, the NCAA Evaluation Tool. So get, uh, get used to the term NET, because it's going to be Net. all over the place uh, next season. And what the NCAA tried to do here is it, it, it teamed up with Google, okay? It ran simulations all last season kind of behind the scenes with a number of different potential models, and it's, it's taking into account um, how often you win, when you win away from home on the road, if you lose at home, um, if you win by how many points. For the first time ever, the NCAA 
is going to take into account in an official capacity scoring margin, which I think is a great, uh, great thing. Now it caps out at ten points. So whether you beat a team seventy-seven sixty-seven or you beat a team seventy-seven to seven, ten points versus sixty points won't matter. But ten points versus eight points versus six points versus four points will matter. Um, quick personal note here: I think that ten points is too low. Mm-hmm. And I spoke with mm-hmm. uh, the NCAA today, and you know they're going to monitor that. And if they find in a year or two that uh, a better a better ceiling uh, for a point of uh, point of margin is say fourteen points or sixteen points, they'll certainly go to that. I hope that's the case overall. Um, so you're overall you're getting a better look at how teams stack up against each other and the whole universe of college basketball. And most importantly, this NET model has predictive elements to it. So any dedicated listener to your show is obviously aware of sites like Ken Pomeroy and Jeff Sagarin's ratings. Right. Those are predictive metrics. And what predictive metrics do, we've come to learn over the years, it's not just in the world of sports, it's outside the world. Predictive metrics have a tendency to be accurate over the long term and in the big picture when they look toward the future. So what can predictive metrics do? They can tell us more accurately uh, in many instances than results-based metrics what teams are stronger than other teams. So that will particularly come into play, in my estimation, not necessarily for inclusion to the tournament, but seeding for the tournament. Um, they're going to have, you know, and they're going to look at what teams have done against their strength of schedule, the teams they've actually scheduled, how often they've gone away from the home, who they've played on neutral courts. So there's always a lot of moving pieces in play here. But uh, one thing I'll tag this with is, fortunately, in my opinion, there are still humans deciding the NCAA tournament. So even though we have a new metric, don't think that, okay, the NCAA has a new thing going on here. We're going to look and see clearly the teams that are ranked 1 through 24 are going to be the teams that are on the 1 through the 6 line. That's not necessarily going to be the case. Humans are flawed. I think it's better for it. It's okay for the tournament not to be perfect because it's actually better for the sport to have more debate and some blowback on that selection Sunday night and then the Monday and Tuesday after. But this gets us to a better place where we're more accurately seeding the field and putting the right teams in. I happen to think this will benefit smaller schools who now are going to be afforded a little bit of a fairer team sheet overall if you're coming from a one- or a two-bid league when it comes to getting included into the tournament. Uh, Matt, let me follow up then. Will it change the way you think that teams then will schedule, and will they not schedule as many teams that are 300 or more uh, in their non-conference, or will it have any effect on that at all? I think it will have a little bit of effect. Now, we won't see those effects for two, three, maybe four years, because what's going to happen here is we're going to have different forces at play. One, coaches are going to have to pay attention to, okay, not just who got in and who didn't, who made the bubble and who was left out. Okay, not just that, but it's like, okay, why did this particular team, if they had X amount of wins, they did this you know, this well overall, yet they were a force to you. You look at this other team, they seem to be um, – much less inferior yet, you know, I might have thought they were eight or nine, but yet they land on the sixth line. Why is that? So you have coaches evaluating that and changing their scheduling habits a couple of years down the road. But we also have to mention the fact that the major conferences, some of whom have already done this, are moving to a 20-game conference schedule. Now, that's not the case in the Big 12, and it's not the case in the Big East because those are 10-team leagues, and thankfully they are true round robins, and you get 18-game league schedules, and I hope both those leagues stay just like that. But with the Pac-12, Big Ten, ACC types moving to 20-game league schedules, it removes two more out-of-league games, 
And so what you're going to do there is you're going to force those coaches to make some interesting decisions because you have to get guarantee games on your schedule when you play them at home merely because you're not going to be able to populate your non-conference schedule with all top 50 opponents. The, the math just doesn't – it's not going to break that way. You wouldn't possibly be able to do that. Um, I do think you'll have fewer and fewer, for the better, by the way, top 50 teams playing teams that are 250 and below. And it will create a little bit of a class difference in that perspective. But ultimately, um, what this is about, and the NCAA didn't explicitly do this with this intention, but it's my belief that this is what is going to help the sport. This is more about the teams that fall in that 51 to 125 to 130 range in a given year. Not overall, like just in a given year, if you're in that range and you're fighting to get into the tournament or having that large bid, um, you're going to have a better chance, and hopefully those teams that are in that middle range are going to be more eager to schedule each other. So let's just say in a given year, Nebraska might be more willing to go on the road and play at Illinois State if it knows that if it loses 77-74 at Illinois State, even though it's a loss and you'll get dinged for the loss, you're not going to get dinged as heavily in this metric. And within that committee room, it's my belief that the committee is getting better at this by the year and they're putting more appropriate weight and influence on who you schedule, how you perform, and not, uh, not totally you know, killing you if you, if you lose a, a tough game in a road environment, whereas like, it might be better if, if Nebraska lost 77-74 on the road against Illinois State than if it wins. 91 to 60 at home over Mississippi Valley State. Uh, that win basically amounts to nothing. It's, it's, it's empty calories. It's chewing on a celery stick. Uh, whereas the Illinois State one, you're at least showing a little bit of courage. You go and play a good team. Let's say Illinois State is top two, top three team in the Valley that year. You're going to get some, some credit for that, and it's, it's better for the program overall. So hopefully this induces college basketball coaches to schedule with a little more ambition in true road environments uh, in an effort to boost up their non-conference schedules and enhance their chances of getting into the tournament if they happen to fall on that bubble line. Final thing for you, Matt Norlander, and I think well, very well put. Hopefully that's something we're going to see around here with the NBC and other conferences, certainly. The Commission on College Basketball, it's a big question, and we just got a couple of minutes left with you, Matt, but as the sport continues to evolve and change, a lot talked about grassroots basketball this summer, is this actually going to change anything in college hoops? Well, it's funny you ask that, Trent. So every year, uh, Gary Parrish and I at CBSSports.com, we pull more than 100 coaches. We see them on the road in July at the recruiting events, then we follow up with some of them on the phone afterwards and the weeks after, and we run a candid coaches series. And today's question, we ask college coaches flatly, do you think the Commission on College Basketball will solve the sports problems? 92% said no, and I think that number is lower than I even expected. I honestly thought we were going to come in at about 95 or 96% when we were all said, all of a sudden done there. Um, that's, that's a bad look for Mark Emmert. It's a bad look for Condoleezza Rice. It's a bad look for that commission because, one, it, it, it kind of puts out there in the eyes of the coaches, we don't think the people that are on this commission are in touch enough with what's happening in the sport, good and bad, to make actual change that needs to be made. And two, it almost sets up the commission from a, from a faulty standpoint to begin with because whatever's happening out there, can you even stop it? If, if people are going to break the rules and look to, look to skirt the rules, how are you really going to be able to put a stop to that, particularly when a lot of them are third-party influences? So that, keep that in mind as well. 
it's obviously a, a big change coming for college basketball, but the coaches don't have a lot of faith in what uh, Emmert and his commission will or will not be able to do. Well, a busy day, and it's one of my favorite articles, certainly of this summer. Looking forward to diving into that tonight. Candid Coaches Series over at CBSSports.com. Gary Parrish and our buddy Matt Norland are working on that. Matt, as always, great catching up with you, and we'll be able to talk maybe some actual hoops next time. Uh, I look forward to it, Trent. Have a great week, guys. I appreciate it. Matt Norlander of CBSSports.com. Always a fun conversation with him. So big thank you again to Matt for joining us here today. And that will do it for the program. Busy, busy show of Football Friday. And we got you covered coming up here in just about 45 minutes or so as we will bring you game one of the season. Week one, it's the matchup and the battle for Ankeny. Ankeny High, Ankeny Centennial. 6.40 with the pregame show, 7 o'clock with the kicks, with, kick with the Hawks and the Jaguars. Enjoy your sports weekend. Have fun. We got football back. High school tonight. College gets going at least somewhat tomorrow. Colorado State, Hawaii, followed by New Mexico State, Wyoming. Yeah, I'm excited for it. There is no doubt. Football season is here, folks. In Enjoy it. We'll talk to you here in a little bit. Get ready for high school football tonight. Hope you can join us as well. A big thank you to our great sponsors again for hopping aboard with us throughout this football season. Enjoy your weekend in sports. We'll talk to you back on Monday with our local programming starting at noon. Myself and Ken Miller and Jimmy B and TC on your drive home from 4 until 6 o'clock. Again, thanks to everybody out there for listening in on 1700 KBGG.